Well, if you're out and about in the CBD of Melbourne next week, look out for the motorcades. Ten leaders from across Southeast Asia, including from Timor-Leste, will be in the city for a summit to mark 50 years of partnership between Australia and Southeast Asia's premier diplomatic and economic bloc, ASEAN. Hosted by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, the summit comes amid geopolitical tensions in the region as Australia strives for a more significant role in regional security. Top of the agenda, Taiwan, the ongoing political crisis in Myanmar and territorial disputes in the South China Sea, where the Philippines are in direct clash with China. Ahead of this special summit, Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. made a fairly strident address to the Australian Parliament this week. I will not allow any attempt by any foreign power to take even one square inch of our sovereign territory. In a moment, I'll be joined by the Australia's Southeast Asia envoy, Nicholas Moore, to talk about how Australia can better boost its trade and investment ties with ASEAN. But first, Hong Lee Tu will be attending the summit. She's an expert on security and diplomacy in East Asia and Deputy Director of the Asia Program at the International Crisis Group. I spoke with her earlier. Hello. The summit's an opportunity to celebrate 50 years of Australia's relations with ASEAN. How would you characterise that partnership today in terms of trust and engagement? I would characterise the relationship with the region in broad sense, as well as with individual member states, as relatively positive. And certainly there is a positive trajectory developing there. I think there is a strong recognition from this government and going ahead that Australia and Southeast Asia are bound by geography and they share the same neighbourhood. And many countries in the region share Australia's vision of playing a more responsible role in upholding the regional stability and regional security as well. ASEAN is a significant bloc. It's got significant countries as members of it and some of the big players in the region will be here for this summit. And yet ASEAN remains impotent in terms of affecting real change so often. I'm thinking about Myanmar, the ongoing civil conflict in Myanmar is a significant issue for this region. Why has ASEAN been unable to have much impact there? Yes, the Myanmar crisis is something that is really going to challenge the organization's credibility and really it poses a question for its existence in the first place. Why the country's governments in the region get together and what is the purpose of this intergovernmental institution if it cannot act on the internal crisis that affect its own organization and the region? I think to understand that is um, because all ASEAN countries and member states are by this principle of non-interference in each other domestic issues. So that means it does not have the right to act in internal affairs of Myanmar. And um, the current domestic uh, crisis is still considered domestic. There have been, of course, actions, talks, diplomatic efforts from the side of ASEAN. You know, mind you, that this is a topic that uh, appears to each and every meeting. So there are diplomatic efforts and they do vary each year because uh, 
ASEAN works on the uh, rotational chair. So it really depends on the diplomatic capacity of the chair and to what degree they are eager to tackle this very complex issue of Myanmar. What about China? That's obviously going to be a big issue around this summit table, primarily its behaviour in the South China Sea and its growing defence capabilities. ASEAN doesn't speak with one voice on China. How divided is ASEAN over how to deal with China? ASEAN has always been divided when it comes to how to approach China and each country has its individual bilateral relations and I don't see the commonality of one approach being feasible. They are working out the best way to manage this power asymmetry that they have with China. Would you Um, you expect Australia would be pushing ASEAN at this conference to be more forceful in the language it uses about China's belligerence in the South China Sea? I don't I don't think that it is in Canberra's interest or even its goal to push Southeast Asian countries to respond more firmly towards China in general, or Australia is not in position to do that. What it can encourage is to respond in certain matters that, for example, are commonly accepted by the international law that uh, all member states of ASEAN and Australia are party of. So, for example, if China violates the maritime law, um, especially violate uh, the UN Convention uh, of the Law of the Sea, then countries in the region, whether it's Australia or not, uh, should be speaking up and Mm. should be seeking upholding those. But to expect a blanket reaction or blanket resistance to China, it's not in Australia's interest. It should not be its diplomatic goal, nor it is in its capacity, really. Penny Wong has been very active across the region since coming to office. Her key message is the preservation of an open, inclusive, rules-based region grounded in sovereignty, to quote her, where no country dominates and no country is dominated. Is that message from Australia resonating? I think so. I think most of the Southeast Asian countries are smaller to mid-sized, but all of them are small compared to China. So the message that might does not make right and there's more of a, a equitable approach to international affairs where states are treated uh, equally in, in the eyes of, of international law and conduct uh, is certainly something that many in Southeast Asia, if not all, can subscribe to. So I, I think this is a message that is shared. This week in our domestic politics, we also had a reminder from the head of ASIO, Mike Burgess, about foreign spies and the increasing threat he sees of foreign intervention in our politics and our society more broadly. How significant is the threat of foreign interference through spies or cyber attack, disinformation, and how alert are the ASEAN countries to the threat? The threat is really, really serious. In fact, we call it scamdemic in Southeast Asia in terms of, you know, porous cybersecurity environment, but also because Southeast Asia has embraced connectivity, internet usage, whether personal usage or business related digital economy, especially during COVID, the rate of embracing the digital side of uh, uh, of social interaction, it's been really at a remarkable rate because this region is such a young and populous, but young and also very keen to connect. But with that vast adoption, it comes also a lot of challenges and threats that not everyone is equally aware of. 
there is still a lot uh, of gap. This is something I've been uh, advocating for years that Australia can really contribute in terms of capacity building in training about cybersecurity and sharing examples because this kind of conversation is very, very prominent and at quite advanced level in Australia. Hong Lee Tu is the Deputy Director of the Asia Program at the International Crisis Group and she'll be there at the summit in Melbourne this week. Well, trade talks will be a key element of this ASEAN summit too. Last year, Anthony Albanese appointed former Macquarie Bank Chief Nicholas Moore as Australia's Southeast Asia envoy. His job? To come up with a strategy to boost Australia's two-way trade and investment, which has failed to keep pace with the economic boom time in our region. Nicholas Moore will host a number of sessions at next week's summit and he'll be meeting with some of the visiting leaders. Nicholas Moore, welcome back to Sunday Extra. Thank you, Fran. It's, uh, it's great to be back. Are you expecting to get anything concrete in the form of trade agreements or investment partnerships from this summit? Well, as you know, in terms of our report, we had four different categories of uh, actions we wanted uh, people to take. And number one was raising awareness. And this conference is a, is a great step in terms of raising awareness in terms of the opportunities in the region and getting business leaders together uh, with each other so they can actually exchange um, uh, stories exchange uh, levels of interest. So I think in terms of, you know, one of the most important things we have to do is raising awareness. The conference should play a very important role in that. Well, the leaders are going to be there. There's a significant business delegation there too. That's um, right. Are you, I mean, I'm still, I, I'm still surprised that all these years on, I rem- I've been covering federal politics and, and the region for decades now, that we're still talking about raising awareness of the trade and economic opportunities in our region. That's that's true, but they continue to grow. I think is the important point. But if you look at our our it, it, it and also it hasn't been a, a, a hopeless situation by any means. If you look at our our trade uh, with the region, the region is our second largest trading partner, taken as a group, and it's it's maintained between about thirteen and uh, and fifteen percent of our total trade. So it's been a very good contributor from a trade viewpoint. The point we make in our report is it hasn't grown at the same rate as the region. It's growing effectively at the same rate as Australia, but we know the region's growing at a faster rate, and so we're ambitious for a greater level of trade growth. The part that's really underperformed in terms of uh, the the, the numbers is our investment in the region. Mm. So at the moment, uh, our investment in the region is at about 3% of the total FDI from Australia which is less than our investment, FDI investment uh, in FDI, New Zealand. FDI, let's define about, our terms. Oh, because... sorry, that's foreign, foreign, good point, foreign direct investment. Thank you. So we have more foreign direct investment in New Zealand than we do in the region. And indeed, when we look at the, the foreign direct investment in the region, uh, 2% or you know, two-thirds of that is in Singapore. Now, a lot of that goes to the rest of the region, but it puts it in context that we have been as high in, in recent years of 6%, of foreign direct investment. Now, our investments come off in recent years whilst the rest of the world has stepped up. So the rest of the world, foreign direct investment, again, using that term, has gone from from 2003, it was about 3.5% and has gone up to about 7%. So whilst our investment has come off, the rest of the world has gone up. Now, there's there's good reasons for that. What's a good reason for that? Well, a, a good reason for it is where the countries want you to invest and the commercial opportunities open up 
in areas that are relevant to them at the time. So a lot of the foreign direct investment in recent times in the region has been going into things like manufacturing. The story that we've heard a lot about of the China plus one story, the countries in the region want to be the plus one. This is you know, particularly coming out of COVID and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the disruption, people want to be able to be the alternate supplier uh, to the world. So there's a lot of uh, investment that's taken place uh, from all countries in the world, from Europe, from America, from China, people building those facilities. Now, now they're not necessarily a strength from an Australian viewpoint. We highlight where we think Australians can be investing going forward in in some of the needs um, for the economies as they continue to develop. Energy transition, of course, is uh, is a big highlight. Uh, infrastructure, as the urbanisation continues to grow, uh, a lot of uh, infrastructure investment needs to take place. In terms of resources, Australia obviously has a very strong uh, in commercial sector, co- uh, corporate sector in the resources space, and therefore we see a lot of opportunities potentially opening up there, uh, uh, similarly in agriculture. So there's a whole range of areas where we can bring value uh, to the market and we're and we're using this conference in many other ways of actually highlighting what those opportunities are to the Australian investor and corporate sector. Yeah, and remember but we go back reason, to the, some oh, of the findings in your report last year yeah. uh, that the you know the the investment from Australia into the region is sort of stubbornly stagnant, really, as as the region grows. And in yeah, your it's report, fallen, yeah. you talked about yeah, it's fallen. You talked about Southeast Asian liter- literacy. Yes, what does that mean, and why don't we have it? I mean, this was supposed to be the Asian century. Do we have a cultural problem? Well, I think it was, I think from a national viewpoint, the opportunities uh, have been elsewhere from a business viewpoint. If you've seen where our companies have been growing and our investors have been investing, they've been investing in the big markets of the world. They've been investing in, in the US, they've been investing in Europe, they've been investing in China, Japan, and what have you. Now, they're the big markets. What's happening at the moment, as we know, is globally the growth in the region we think will be going forward, it has been some of the highest growth in the world and we think it will continue to be the highest growth in the world. So on a relative basis, the region is becoming more and more attractive as the scale grows because to invest, you need scale. So as the scale of the opportunity grows and particularly as the rate of growth, we think will be faster in the region than the places where we've been investing and investing our time uh, in the past. Okay. So we think this is a, a good time for business to have a very good look at the opportunities being presented there. And that's why that's, you know, the beginning of our recommendations are all about that raising awareness in terms of what's happening in the region. Nicholas, can I just ask you briefly, uh, Australian officials are being targeted for espionage and foreign interference more than ever before. That was the message this week from the ASIO boss, Mike Burgess. What kind of concerns have you heard, if any, from the business community about spying? Are they alive to the threat? Well, I haven't heard it uh, raised as, a, as an issue, uh, I must confess, over, over our consultation. So we met with, uh, I think, 700 different uh, organisations and business people uh, and it wasn't raised as, as an issue. All right, Not Nic- to say that it isn't an issue, but it wasn't raised as okay. an issue. Okay. Nicholas Moore, thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thank you very much. Nicholas Moore is Australia's Southeast Asia envoy and a participant at next week's Australian ASEAN Special Summit, celebrating 50 years of this partnership. Ten heads of government, nine ASEAN heads and the head of Timor-Leste will be in Melbourne for some hard talking. 
Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.